0: chapter forty six of mad barbara by warwick deeping this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter forty six john gore rode for First farm with many turbulent thoughts at work in him and the raw mist that thickened from over the sea making the wet woods no more comforting than the degradation he had found at thorn he had been fierce at first with the man whom he called father till my lord's squalid ignominy had become apparent to him, and he had realised that he was dealing with a creature and not a man, for there had been no sense of strength opposed to him, no pride, no will, not even savage passion, nothing to struggle with, nothing to overcome with shame. My lord was dead in the better sense. Those weeks in thorn had starved and frozen the soul out of him, and he had become half a savage, yet a timid fawning savage whose consciousness was bounded by elemental things at first there had been nothing but abhorrence and disgust from john gore this cringing thing with the face of an imbecile embracing his own son's knees lying amid his own offal what could a man say to this shadow of a self where lay the promise of judgment or of appeal good god He could remember the time when he had stood in some awe of this same man, because of his fine presence and his habit of command. Yet as John Gore rode through the white mist, the impressions and instincts of the morning began to sift themselves and to piece up a broader, saner picture. Incidents, acts, details, started forward or receded into clearer, truer perspective. The offensive flavour of the thing began to prejudice him less he tried to see the whole untarnished truth with the sincerity of a man who is not content with mere impressions perhaps what he saw was this a man bred in luxury a bon vivant a lover of pleasure thrown down broken into a species of dark pit where the mere physical miseries of existence would bring him near to death in body and mind pain sleeplessness cold hunger "'our grim inquisitors fit to break a man on the rack "'and tear the very senses from him. "'John Gore had looked into the hole "'where his father had kept his food "'and had seen meat going putrid "'and biscuits covered with mould. "'He remembered, too, very vividly, "'an incident in the Indies "'when he and his ship's company "'had found a man who had been marooned on an island "'that was little better than a reef. "'The man was a Norman, "'and his sojourn there had been but a matter of days. Yet he was skull-faced, parched, abject, and as mad as an idiot child. He had run from them, screaming, when they landed, though his legs had given under him before he had gone fifty yards. And he had died on board John Gore's ship, and they had buried him at sea, and often afterward, at night, the sea-captain had fancied that he still heard the man's wild cry, J'ai soif, mon Dieu! Mon Dieu, j'ai soif! Now Stephen Gore had been a proud man, and a man of sentiment after his own ideals. He had had other things to torture and humiliate him, besides anguish in the flesh. Proportionately, as a man's physical strength wanes, so the menace of spiritual suffering grows the more quick and poignant. This man had spilled blood and betrayed friends. A well-fed cynic might have put such things under his feet and trampled them. It would be otherwise, with a half-starved, memory-haunted, isolated being shivering the nights through, listening and ever listening, while the solitude hung like an eternal silence, and the slightest movement of the body set bone grating against bone. Who could shrug his shoulders through such an ordeal, and come forth smiling with an epigram? Would not the very intellect curse itself and die by its own hand? Innocent blood— the betrayal of honour and of friends, lies, inevitable half-salvation. These thoughts would grip such a man, throttle him, spit at his very soul. They would not be conjured or persuaded. They would be awake with him through the winter nights, scoff when some spasm of pain made him curse and set his teeth, watch him with cold eyes when the light of the dawn came in. The same miserable dragging of the days, the same miserable passion-play of the crucified soul. Where would a man's manhood be at the end of such a chastisement? The glow of the winter fires reddened the windows of Furs Farm, as the shadow of the house loomed up through the mist. The orchard hedge was dripping with dew, the grass grey and sodden. the beech-trees like phantom trees, the coming of the dusk mournful and full of a heavy silence yet the windows of the house with their lozenged latticing outlined by the fire sent john gore's thoughts back with a sudden shiver of pity to dreary ruinous fog-choked thorn he dismounted heavily and leading his horse to the stable left him to mr jennifer who was sitting astride a rough bench mending harness by the light of a candle in the kitchen barbara came out to welcome him with just the faintest glimmer of shyness that made her love the more desirable. Mrs. Winnie was above, turning out her linen cupboard, little Will in the wood-lodge cutting firewood with the hand-bill, a thing he had been solemnly forbidden to do. Barbara and John had both kitchen and parlour to themselves. No candles had been lit in the house as yet, but the burning logs threw a rich light upon the wainscoting. "'You have had a long ride, John,' He hung his cloak on a chair and took her hands, her pale face with its new ripeness of colour seeming to bring to him freshness and perfume after these abhorrent hours at Thorn. Yet his heart was stern and troubled in him because of the man, his father. Nor could even his love's eyes flash a complete smile into his. "'They will be pleased with this fog at sea,' he said. "'I can fancy that I hear the bells ringing. "'What have you been doing all day, little woman?' She looked at him with questioning intentness. Rarely can a man hide care from the world, very rarely, indeed, from the eyes of the woman who loves him. Mrs. Winnie has been teaching me to make buttonholes, John. Will and I went out after dinner, and were nearly lost in the fog. You look tired. He had dropped her hands, and he caught them again with the impulsive frankness of a man who knows himself to be but a poor dissembler i am tired barbie heart tired i cannot pretend that i am not john her voice had a touch of appeal in it this morning i went out innocently enough child but i have returned with more than i foreshadowed where have you been john to thorn thorn yes she hung back a little from him "'reading the forethought and trouble in his eyes, "'and the tired yet generous calm of a man "'thinking of others rather than himself. "'You are troubled, John. Tell me.' "'He looked down at her reflectively, "'and his eyes seemed to say, "'Shall I, or shall I not?' "'Woman-wise, she appeared to understand. "'You are afraid for my sake, John.' "'A little.' "'Is it because you cannot trust me?' Her eyes held his, and for once it was as though she had the greater power of will. "'No, because I wish, worry, and care away. "'John, do you think I shall leave all the burden of life to your shoulders? Are we so little to each other? Am I so selfish?' She felt his hands tighten on hers. "'Barbie, I have found my father.' "'At Thorn?' "'Yes.' She shuddered slightly, despite herself, and he saw her eyes darken. John, did you speak to him?' "'Without mercy.' "'Does he know?' "'He thinks you are dead.' "'Why is he at Thorn?' "'Hiding from the law because of this plot. Hiding from us, a miserable wreck of a man, half-starved, almost mad.' She saw his face grow haggard and stern, the lines deepening about the mouth, his eyes staring fixedly at the fire, as though he were looking upon a thing that revolted him. The instinct in her was one of a strong, pure passion to be of use. He had feared for her courage, perhaps for her magnanimity. Yet it was she who took the torch that evening, and carried it so that the darkness seemed less dark. "'John, my heart, tell me everything!' She drew him by the hands into the inner room and shut the world out, save that world at Thorn. He looked down at her, as though wondering at the will in her, and feeling a strength and courage near him that might have the power of turning destiny into providence. She was calm, yet infinitely vital, and her face had a radiance that drove scorn and bitterness and malice into the dark. He beheld a transfiguration, love bending toward love, "'beautiful with the beauty of sacrifice, pity, and desire. "'John, do you fear for me?' "'He opened his arms, but paused with a sudden awe of her, "'and, bowing himself, touched her hands. "'No, not now. Then tell me everything.' "'And he told her, sitting in the firelight, "'with his hands clasped upon his knees. "'Silence held them a while in thrall. "'Barbara was leaning against the jamb of the chimney. One hand laid along her cheek, her eyes full of the past. It was as though some sharp struggle were passing within her, and for a moment her eyes had a glitter of anger. But the gleam passed from them, and her mouth softened. She looked down at the man with a mystery of a smile, a smile with no mirth in it, but full of sadness, yearning, and self-reproach. "'John,' he started, almost as though he had forgotten her, "'do you love your father?' the question seemed to stagger him he frowned at the fire love that she rested her head upon her arm his scorn had made the heart leap in her i did john my father and then what misery what greater shame but you john john what must it be to lose everything even the love of one's own son that touches me even to the heart Is it not strange that I should feel that even more than you? He looked at her questioningly, mutely. She had not seen what he had seen—cowardice, squalor, bestial fawning that was infamous in a man, and yet her words woke a depth of feeling in him, something finer and more delicate than this man's nature had fashioned of itself. He opened his mouth to tell her more of the gross truth, but some impulse rebuked him. He waited instinctively for her. Barbara had raised her head. For a moment she stared at the fire and then turned to him with a look he would never forget. "'John, it may help you if I tell you what is in my heart. "'Child!' "'It is this, John. "'I can forgive. "'Yes, I can forgive.' He looked at her wonderingly and then sprang up, opening his arms. She went to him with a low, inarticulate cry, and let him hold her to him, while a great tremor passed through her, as though the old self were vanishing, with a last spasm of pain and bitterness. "'Barbie, you can forgive!' "'Yes.' "'But is it for my sake?' She raised her head, and her eyes were full of tears. "'Yes, partly. You have changed me. And yet it is of my own will.' He bent and kissed her lips. Child, you make me ashamed. It is you that shall teach me. God keep you. End of chapter 46